I'm so glad that you're here. We're in a series all about the book of Daniel, and I'm calling it True Grit. The idea here is it takes courage to live in exile. What do I mean by that? Remember, the book of Daniel is a book about some people that were trying to be faithful to God while living in exile. Babylon was not their home. Their home was in the promised land. Their home was in Jerusalem. And the pagan, wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, he comes and Babylon comes and takes these guys out of Jerusalem and puts them into Babylon. And he didn't really care that they still called themselves God's people as long as they thought like a Babylonian. As long as culturally... They were just like the Babylonians. Now, does any of this sound familiar? The culture even gets sentimental about, I think, about Christians. You know, everybody says, oh, the culture's going this way. I think the culture's just fine with Christians. I think they look back and they think, oh, yeah, that's nice. As long as Christians don't actually act out anything they believe, right? They don't care if you keep the name as long as you think like the culture, as long as you live and act just like the culture. And so over time, it's very difficult for us to remember. If you are a child of God, listen to me carefully. You have two passports, not one. Now, so you got your passport, you know what I'm talking about? You got the U.S. passport, right? I hope it's not expired, right? That's very important, by the way. If we're going to be like, Lord, send me to the ends of the earth, but you got an expired passport, you don't really mean it, Okay. So go get your passport up to date. But that's my point. Your U.S. passport shows I'm a citizen of the United States of America. That's great. That passport has an expiration date. But if you are a Christian, you have two passports. One that says United States of America with an expiration date, but you also are a citizen of a kingdom that has no expiration. You are a child of God. You are part of the eternal kingdom. You have a king and a kingdom. And it is very difficult to remember sometimes that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. We need to know how to live as exiles, how to live as aliens and strangers. You know, the events, uh, you watch the news, you just shake your head, you go, what's going on? Even my wife and I at home sometimes this week, preaching through 1 Peter and Daniel, more than once we've looked at each other and been like, aliens and strangers, you know. My group of friends, we're starting to use that. Well, just aliens and strangers. What do you expect? We're, our world is not our home. Aliens and strangers. And Christians have to get more and more comfortable with just being weird, being different. It's okay. We can still be winsome. We can be winsome weirdos. But we can, it's okay to be an alien and a stranger. Daniel guides us how. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. How to live as an exile, how to live as an alien and stranger in a world that is not ultimately our home, but how to bless that world while we're here. Here we go, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Are you there? Daniel, you may remember from last week, carried with his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're following the story. They were probably teenagers. They've been groomed in the finest Babylonian prep school, and they're either just like just out of the academy or just about to graduate or they're rookies in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what happens. In the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. These were not good dreams, y'all. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Hmm. Uh, there's a lesson here. Nebuchadnezzar's having nightmares. There's a lesson here. To the man or the woman without Christ, it doesn't matter how powerful and secure they seem, they are filled with insecurity and anxiety. What could harm Nebuchadnezzar? 
He's the king of the ancient Near East. He's the king of everything that's known. He's got the most powerful. He can't sleep at night. He's scared to death. Remember that. No matter how powerful and mighty the emperors and empires of this world seem, without Christ, anxieties at day become monsters at night. They can't sleep. And so he knows what to do. They, 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 they paid these guys big bucks to study dreams in the ancient Near East. Verse 2. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. The Chaldeans is sort of shorthand. They were most known for uh, uh, the occult and the, 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 the world of interpreting dreams and so forth. The, uh, the, the, the ancient uh, scholars believed, in, in the ancient Near East, they believed that the dreams of a king portended the future. And so they had books and volumes of books and eventually libraries of books that basically said this. When a king or a powerful person dreams this, then according to history, this is what happened next. They tried to establish dream precedents. And so then this gets bigger and bigger. And so when the king dreamed this, then this happened. And they're trying to establish so that a king would know, if I dream this, then this is what we need to prepare for. And so eventually you needed scholars and librarians and the Dewey Decimal System. And you had to somehow figure out where we were going to find. And so the king would tell the dream and these scholars would go through all this ancient literature to find out, okay, it's according to this, when some, the closest thing we can find was this king dreamed this and this is what happened. So this is what we need to do. Okay, they're used to that. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to him, I had a dream. And my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. And, and your, your Bible may have a footnote. It's so just like fun fact. Right here, the book of Daniel is bilingual. And the book of Daniel is written in, uh, right here it switches to Aramaic. So it's written in Hebrew, written in Hebrew, and then all of a sudden Aramaic. Uh, some people think maybe it's because from this till chapter 7 is events that affect the whole world. And so the lingua franca of the day was Aramaic. So everybody needed to know that. And so they, um, they put it in, uh, in Aramaic at that point. Anyway, uh, they say, uh, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. No problem, king. We got a whole library of books. It's going to take us some time, but if you'll tell us the dream, we can sort it out. We can, we can figure it out. The problem is, Nebuchadnezzar's got a sneaky suspicion that, uh, that these guys are charlatans. They're fakes. And it occurs to him, now wait a minute. How do I know that what you're telling me, interpreting these dreams and stuff, how do I know you're not just, you know, making all this up? Not a bad suspicion, actually. And so he says, so, so Ned thinks to himself, all right, we're going we're gonna to mix it up a little bit. I know you're used to, I, you've been doing this for years now. And you've been on my payroll, and I'm paying you, and I tell you the dream, and then you say, oh, it means this. But I want to really know if, the interpretation is accurate. So we're going to do a little different. The king answered, verse 5, and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. If you don't make known to me the dream and its interpretation. Anybody can tell me the interpretation of a dream when I tell it. I want you to tell me first. You tell me what I dream. And if you can't, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. You see that? Um, uh, when leaders are anxious and insecure, uh, it turns it generally translates into hostility toward others. When they're going through great anxiety, they, it turns out great hostility toward others. So he's going to rip you into body parts and burn down your house to the ground. He's a sociopath. He doesn't care. 
But if you show the dream, verse 6, and its interpretation, I'll do the opposite. You shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Anybody can just make something up when they hear the dream. So you tell me what I dream, then I'll believe your interpretation. Got it? To which the scholars are like, I'm sorry. It, it seems you, you misspoke. <laughs> it almost sounded like what you said is you need us to first predict the dream and then tell you the interpretation. King Nebuchadnezzar, we got your email. Um, but uh, I, I think there was an autocorrect there. Uh, and you hear that in verse 7. They answered a second time. Um, right. Let, just so we're clear. Let the king tell the servants his dream and then we'll show you its interpretation. Right. C clearly you misspoke. To which Neb replies, no, clearly you misheard. I'm insane. <laughs> the king answered and said, now I know what's going on. You're trying to buy time. I know with certainty you're trying to gain time because you see the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there's one sentence for you. You're going to be turned into body parts. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. That's an old-fashioned way of saying you're trying to stall and you've been doing this for years until a more favorable time. Well, the time's up. Therefore, tell me the dream, and then I'll know you're for real. Then I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Well, the, the wise men are looking around going, that's impossible. <laughs> and they're right. Look at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. And then they flatter him. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. They're trying everything now. They're like, you realize all the rich and really powerful and strong kings, they don't do it this way. Don't you want to be like them? <laughs> they, they don't do the whole ripping us apart thing. <laughs> they just tell us the dream and we tell them that's how it's always happened. Come on, being king has certain decorum. You tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. In verse 11, they say more than they know. Verse 10, they're right. There's not a man on earth who can do that. It is impossible. In verse 11, they reveal, I think, more theology than they know. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Humans can't do this. This can only come from the divine. And the gods aren't among us. More than they know. Now, it's not the point of the sermon, but I thought now would be a good time uh, to take a brief aside and talk about uh, which, how should a Christian respond to uh, things like sorcery and psychics, mediums, your horoscope, astrology, and all that. Again, it's, I don't think it's the point, but the text brings it up. And since the text brings it up, I thought it'd be a good time to talk about this. You know, in First Peter, we talked about demons. Uh, we quoted C.S. Lewis, who uh, says there's two equal but opposite errors the human race can fall in when coming to think about demons. One is to deny anything demonic. Just deny that all that evil exists. It, it's not real. It doesn't exist. That's one error. The other is to get overly interested in all the dealings of the occult and all the operations of demons and psychics and mediums and take such an unhealthy interest in all that that you're no use in service to the kingdom of God. That's another error. You with me? So how do you, how do you stay right in the middle? How do you avoid either of these errors? Well, to those who would say, um, let's start with to those who are afraid. And to those who would say, I'm afraid of the demons and I'm worried that they're going to possess me and they're going to come inside my head. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the, I want you to take, uh, take note of this passage that the demons can't actually, cannot see inside your head. They couldn't see what the king dreamed. 
There's a theologian named Wayne Grudem who on his chapter on demons and demonology, he, he says that demons can't see inside a human mind and he points to Daniel chapter 2 as his proof for this. See, because surely if the demons could have gotten inside uh, Nebuchadnezzar's head and seen it, they would have been glad to reveal to the, all these pagan sorcerers so that he could have continued his uh, evil schemes, but he doesn't. He can't. And so take courage to those that are terrified and that are overly concerned on this side. Take courage uh, uh, that uh, 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 you can't. That, uh, uh, to, to someone once asked Wayne Grudem after a conference, someone came to him and said, no, 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 I went to my psychic and I asked them a question that only I knew. I asked them what I had for breakfast and they told me right down to the last cornflake exactly what I had for breakfast. Now, how do you explain that? And Grudem said, because the demons watched you eat breakfast. <laughs> Pretty good answer. His point was, it could be that through occult, purpose, occult practices, sure, the demon revealed, hey, this is what I saw him eat for breakfast. But he couldn't get inside your head. And when you go to the Lord in prayer, then the fog of war gets so thick for the enemy, then he has no idea what's going on. Christian, you can always go to God in prayer. Uh, Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So you need not fear. And to those who tend to be on that side and tend to fear all this stuff and, and, and be concerned, remember, uh, uh, the demon is not all powerful. On the other hand, to those who would lean and say, well, this stuff isn't real, this stuff doesn't matter. It, you know, uh, and I don't, you know, I, I you know, if you say to those who would say, you know, should a Christian visit a psychic or a medium or or, or, or look at their horoscope and astrology and so forth? I, you know, um, I don't know how big of a problem that is uh, for Christians to wrestle through that in Coleman, Alabama. I know we dealt with some of that in New York. Folks would be, well, I've done this my whole life. And I go, um, this would be my response. Uh, a Christian has no business visiting a psychic or a medium or, or, or consulting their horoscope. And here's why. Why would you go to your horoscope? Why would you consult the stars for wisdom when you can go to the maker of the stars for wisdom why would you settle for man-made made up wisdom when you can go to god almighty in prayer and in the scriptures and that's why i think christians should have nothing to do with this we move on well, the king has a real problem. He's just been told by his wise men, by all these sorcerers and all these who deal and dabble in these practices, that they can't do it. And so now he has to be true to his word. He has to kill all of his scholars and start over. But he also is angry because he still doesn't have an answer to his dream. And so verse 12 is great. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious. I don't know if you, if you were a kid, if, you ever, if your mom was ever angry or if she was ever very furious, but did you ever catch her on a day when she was both angry and very furious? It's a whole new level of, of anger from crazy Neb. And he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. That's an incredible verse. In other words, not just the Chaldeans and the sorcerers and the enchanters, but all the wise men. Everybody that I trained in my whole Babylonian, kill them all. And they're like, are you sure, king? I mean, they didn't really have anything to do with that. They're, no, I want them all. That is literally overkill. Like when you say overkill, you don't normally get to use it literally. Here it is, literally so the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and that ah and that's how we get to daniel and they sought daniel and his companions to kill them now poor daniel wasn't even there that's my point he just graduated from this program he's part of all the wise men and he learned all the courses and the chanting and then the enchantings and the sorcerer and the chaldeans he just graduated hogwarts and now 
He comes as a brand new graduate of the academy. He's fresh out. He wasn't even here. And on your first day on the job, that's it. We're all going to be, we're all going to be killed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You go to school, you go get your MBA, you got a great degree. And your first day, you get a job on Wall Street. You got a job at one of these nice big firms. And your first day on the job, as you're unloading all your stuff and putting out your pictures, the feds show up. Everybody's being indicted. Every one of you, you're all off to jail. And you're like, but I just got here, right? I didn't do anything. That's Daniel. How do we know? I don't, I don't think Daniel was part of this group because he wasn't there when the edict went out. They had to tell him what was going on. He had to ask. So you find out as a teenager, right? You're just minding your own business. You're going through this prep school academy. You've graduated. Now you're part of this. And now there's a death sentence. You didn't do anything wrong. You're being treated unfairly. Now watch this. Watch the application. This wasn't like he had been persecuted like an American Christian. Where, um, oh, you might lose some social standing because of your Christian principles. Or, oh, you might not be as popular at school because you stand up for certain things that other people don't. Or, oh, you know, you may have some of your quote-unquote religious freedoms uh, infringed upon or taken away. This isn't like that, right? This is, you're going to die. This is what our brothers and sisters, in fact, can you see the parallel? Our brothers and sisters under the Taliban now in Afghanistan. Many of them, that's real persecution. Many of them know this may be the end. There is a kill squad that's gone out to look for the people of God to kill them. They're in, we're praying for them. Why? They're in that boat right now. But either way, whatever persecution, the question is, how does a teenage boy respond? How do you respond? It's not just being persecuted a little bit, but He could die. What will be Daniel's response? How does Daniel reply to this? Verse 14 is incredible. Don't miss this. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. What? Yes. Teenage boy, faithful follower, exile, replied with prudence and discretion. To Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who was he? He's the one who'd gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Wisdom and tact, he goes directly to the executioner and replies with prudence and discretion. I'm sorry, but put yourself in Daniel's sandals. Do, Do you respond with prudence and discretion in that moment? I mean, I... Their life is on the line for having done nothing wrong. I don't respond with prudence and discretion in the car line. Imagine prudence and discretion when your life is on the line. Do you respond that way? Put yourself right there. Then Tom replied with. Does it come out prudence and discretion? No. It comes out then replied with fear and a firearm or something, right? But not prudence and discretion. So you tell me, you tell me, how does a teenage boy in the midst of all this chaos, how on earth does this teenage boy have the presence of mind to calmly, when the world is just falling apart in a total meltdown, he stands up with true grit, with prudence and discretion. Can I ask you that? Do you know the answer? How was he able to stand in his moment of truth when his life was on the line, in the big moment of his life, Why was he able to stand? Because of chapter one. That's why. Because in the little things, in the choices when it didn't matter, in the times when nobody was watching, he refused the king's rich 
food and fine wine and took the veggies and water every day as a reminder, I'm a child of God. I don't belong in Babylon. I'm going to bless Babylon while I'm here, but my heart's true home is with God. He was faithful in the little things and that prepared him when his big moment came. Any questions? He was faithful in the little things when nobody was watching, when it didn't count. That's why that quiet time every day is so important. That's why you get on the Bible app and, oh, that's my verse of the day. That's why you open up that my utmost for his highest devotion every morning. That's why you get my daily bread. That's why you open up God's word. You pray. You ask God for wisdom every single day. And that's also why don't ever say when you get done, well, I didn't get anything out of that today. You have no idea what you got. That's not how nourishment works. Nourishment takes time. It gets inside you. You don't know what God's doing. You don't know. Well, okay, that was Leviticus. Okay, I didn't understand a word. You don't know. You don't know what God's doing. And little by little and bit by bit, he was trained up and he was ready. That's why he didn't have to think about it. It just came out. So I've used this illustration before, and you may have heard it, but the, 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 the soldier, I was watching this uh, TV interview where a soldier had returned from Iraq. This guy was a hero. He's a war hero. And he was being awarded not only a Purple Heart, but also a, like a Silver Star or some Congressional Medal of Honor, a very, very big award. His, his battalion or whatever had come under an ambush in Iraq. He'd been attacked, and uh, 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 bombs are going off and missiles and the, and, the, and the bullets are flying. He himself is injured. And then in the midst of his own injury, he somehow has the presence of mind to go back into the line of fire and he rescued and many of his brothers in arms are alive today because this hero had the presence of mind when all that was going on to go back and to pull these guys out to safety, right? So the, 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 the news does a great job telling his story. It's incredible. Guy's a hero, no question in my mind. And the lady, uh, the reporter asks him, um, sir, I'm going to ask you uh, a question that I think many of our viewers will want to know. How did you know in that moment? How did you know in that moment? Bullets are going off and, and bombs are flying. How did you know how to respond in the way you did that, that saved all these lives? Never forgot his answer. He looks at her and he says, well, ma'am, honestly, I'll be honest. In that moment, I guess you could say I didn't, uh, I didn't actually think at all. No, I guess, uh, honestly, I guess you could say uh, in that moment, I guess you could say my training just sort of took over. I was like, that is going in a sermon. <laughs> and it just did. You understand? You understand what I'm saying? He didn't think. It came out of him. What was in him is all what's in you is always going to show up on what's on you, right? What's out here. It's always going to come out. And that is the life of a Christian. And when no, it doesn't look like it matters. And no, you're refusing the delicacies of the world. And every day you're taking the nourishment from God's word and from prayer. And eventually the world's going to look at you and go, how did you know how to respond like that? I mean, the whole office is like, our whole school is like and everything. And the whole crowd and our whole family, it's so dramatic and yet you were so calm you responded with prudence and discretion how did you know to do that well i don't know you know i guess you could say philippians just sort of took over yeah i've just been meditating on god's word and the next thing i know you know jeremiah ecclesiastes comes out and i even isaiah helped a little we were there for so long and even isaiah i predicted this i know your training just sort of took over. When you look at Daniel and you think this and you see the fiery furnace of his three friends and all that, you might be tempted to say, is he better than me? How can Daniel do these things? Is he better than me? No, he's not better than you. Just maybe better trained. See? So what are you doing daily to put that training in your life in the little moments 
so that the training will take over in the big moments. And you will reply with prudence and discretion to the captain, unbelievable, to the captain of this kill squad. Okay, so uh, verse 15, he declared to Ariok, the king's captain. See, he doesn't know what's going on yet. He's like, whoa, whoa, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Why Neb be hating? <laughs> then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel, verse 16 is incredible. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Why is that amazing? Go ahead. Schedule it, King Nebuchadnezzar. Put it in the royal agenda. I need to know a time that I can come and deliver this interpretation. What's amazing about that? He doesn't have the interpretation, does he? He doesn't have a clue what the interpretation is going to be. He's got faith in a mighty God, and that's it. He goes in there and tells that king, you mark it down right now. I'm going to come back with the interpretation. Now, that is bold. That, that, verse 16, do you, do you remember Lee Trevino? He was a famous golfer. He always had all these funny quotes. Lee Trevino. He grew up real, real poor, and somebody asked him if Lee Trevino felt pressure at some famous tournament he was at. He goes, pressure? No, nah, pressure was when I was a kid. I bet $10 on a putt. He said, pressure's making a $10 putt knowing you only got $5 in your pocket. <laughs> Here's a $10 promise with only $5 in his pocket. You see? Here he is stepping out on faith going, no, you mark it down. I want an appointment. And then what does he do? Gets his appointment, presumably. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions. And they're like, how'd it go? Did the king get mercy? And he's like, actually, we're going to tell him the interpretation. Oh, thank goodness. What's the interpretation? I don't know yet. Like, what have you done? The king is going to kill us. Daniel's like, they're like, well, that's a good point. (laughs) Uh, See, Daniel, you think, man, how could he do that? If he was wrong, the king was going to kill him. The king was going to kill him anyway. He dead man walking. Bob Dylan said, when you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Part of a Christian's ability to stand strong in exile is realizing this world's got nothing for us. It's not our home. I've been crucified with Christ. We're already dead men walking. That should put steel in our backbones. Daniel realized he had nothing to lose. So he goes back to the friends. That's awesome. What's the interpretation? Verse 18. I don't know. So he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I love that. Guys, we need mercy in the mystery. Before we know the end of the story, let's ask for mercy. We need mercy in the mystery. Now, one thing that's always interesting about reading the Bible, I think, is that we don't... So the verse numbers were added later. We all know that, right? But if you look at your Bible, if you have a paper Bible, or even if you have it on your app... There's a little bit of space in the screen or on the page between verse 18 and verse 19, even if it's just a period. The thing about reading the Bible is we don't know how long that space lasted between verse 18 and verse 19. Because when you read the Bible, it's not like it happened in real time. When you read it, you're like, verse 18 is like, we don't know. We're all going to die if God doesn't give us the interpretation. Verse 19, God gave me the interpretation. You're like, okay, great, the end. Right? That's not how life works, is it? Verse 18 happens. 
And then it can be a long time before we see our verse 19. And let me say, there are some of you right now, you are living between verse 18 and verse 19. And you need a word from God this morning. You're in the already, not yet. You've already got the promises of God. You've not yet seen how they're going to play out. You already know he's your refuge and strength. You just don't know how the problem in your life that you're wrestling with. You don't see a resolution. You can't even see verse 19. You're still on the period of verse 18. You don't even see 19 in the distance. Listen to me. It's not, God is writing a story with your life. And it's just the end of the chapter, man. It's not the end of the book. But that's easy for somebody to say, but it's hard when you're in the middle of your story. So if you're there, we're going to come back to you at the very end. Don't worry, we've got a word for you. For now, sure enough, verse 19 is the resolution. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Now can you imagine Daniel gets the vision and he's like, that's it. Our prayers are answered. We're all going to live. We've got the interpretation. What's the first thing you would have done? You'd have gone straight to the king. Or you'd have at least gone to your friends. What does Daniel do? Daniel stops to say thank you. Isn't that good? Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. He writes a spontaneous psalm. And it's all about who gets the glory. Verse 20. Daniel answered and said, this is what I mean. Daily, he's been depending on the Lord. We learned from chapter 9 that he'd been reading Jeremiah. He'd been reading the prophets and the scriptures. And so this just comes out of his heart. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. See, everybody's calling him a wise man. And everybody's talking about how these astrologers and sorcerers are wise. But no, 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 no. Verse 21. He changes times and seasons. Astrologers love to look at the times and the phases of the moon and the changing of the seasons. He says, God's in charge of all that. God's the one who changes that. He removes kings and sets up kings. Everybody's bowing before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is so scary and powerful. They wouldn't have any power at all were it not for God that gives them the power. He gives wisdom to the wise. We've got learned scholars and thinkers. Where do you think you got that wisdom? It came from God. Knowledge to those who have understanding. And verse 22 is a marvelous progression for everybody right now who's walking through mystery. Look. To everybody who says, but God, why? And, and what's going on? And, and I don't understand. And when are we going to get through this? Or when am I going to get through this family crisis? Or when are we going to get through this national crisis? Or this global crisis? Or this pandemic? For everybody, look at verse 22. He'll tell you. Sometimes, God, and only God can do this, God reveals the deep and hidden things. He does it mainly through his word. You'll be reading in his word, and the Holy Spirit will speak to you, and he'll connect something from the word, something to your life situation, and you'll realize he does reveal the deep and hidden things. But not always. Sometimes he doesn't reveal it, and you're left in the darkness. Is there any hope? Yes, that's the next part of the verse. He knows what is in the darkness. See, there are many things we just don't know, but he does. And here's the best part. Well, then wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If he revealed some things, that's great. But some things are in the darkness. That's scary. How am I going to walk into the darkness if I don't know? Ah, that's the last part of the verse. And the light dwells with him. You may be called to walk through the darkness, but you never walk alone. You walk through the darkness with Jesus, who is the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Verse 22 is powerful. 
Verse 23, he says, and it's very personal. I love this. To you, O God of my fathers. They've dressed me up like a Babylonian. They've made me wear all this funny outfit of the Chaldeans and the wise men and the sorcerers. But they can't change the fact. I know who I am. I know I'm a child of God. And I know my, my, the faith of my fathers and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Ah. <sighs> Here we go. God, you're in control, and I'm not. So therefore, verse 24, Daniel went into Arioch, remember, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy who? Do not destroy me and my buddies here. This to me is an amazing moment of mercy. Do not destroy just me or just me and my friends. No, he says, do not destroy any of them. Now, Daniel is in the midst of this pagan bunch that has caused all these problems. You would think Daniel would want a little bit of payback, right? You'd think he'd be like, do not destroy me, my friends, and this list. Otherwise, these guys have at it, right? He didn't do that. Why? Here's why. When a person receives great mercy from God, they freely give great mercy to others. That's how it always works. Daniel had received incredible mercy. And because he didn't deserve God to save his life, and God did, he's just given mercy to everybody. Get mercy for all, y'all. In fact, he fulfills... Uh, remember that prophecy in Jeremiah? Daniel read Jeremiah. We know from Daniel 9 that he had read the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophecy to the exiles where he says, Jeremiah says... Seek the prosperity of the city. You're going into Babylon? Seek the welfare of the city. That's exactly what he does. Because of Daniel's faithfulness, all of the wise men of Babylon are saved. He's fulfilling Jeremiah. In fact, he's even fulfilling an older prophecy than that. You've got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, it says that the seed of Abraham will bless the nations. And here, you have a child of Abraham. You have an Israelite who, because of his faithfulness, is blessing the Gentile nations. Prophecy made in Genesis, prophecy fulfilled in Daniel 2. Incredible. Oh, anyway, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I'll show the king my interpretation. Verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before... Oh, look. It, you're, uh, I don't know if it ever happens at your workplace where like uh, you get frustrated because there's somebody in your bureaucracy that no matter what you do, they always take the credit and they always make it about them and you work hard, and you're faithful, and this person always takes the credit, then you can appreciate what Arioch does. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to the king, I have found among the exiles. Oh, give me a break, Arioch. I have done this great thing. Yes, I am Arioch. Anyway, there's no point to that. Just, uh. I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Daniel, take it from here. Verse 26, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Remember, Belteshazzar, if you were here last week, means uh, keeper of the hidden mysteries of Baal. So they bring that up. Oh, okay. Are you able to make known to me? Because remember the arrangement. It's not enough that you interpret the dream. Can you make known to me the dream and its interpretation? And Daniel's reply. Oh, verse 27 is perhaps the most epic Jesus juke of all time. And in verse 27, Daniel looks at the king. He answered the king and said, No. 
No, I cannot. I'm sorry, excuse me? And here again, we don't know how long he let this simmer. We don't know how long he let Nebuchadnezzar stew in his rage. No. Well, I mean, technically, king, your question was, can you, Daniel, do this? And the answer is no. Let me finish. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. So no, we are not able We're not able. In our culture today, there are many problems and no one is able to solve them. And I think we just have to admit, there are some things that go way beyond human capacity or understanding. So no. No human can help you, Neb. Verse 28. But God. Amen. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom I have more than all the living, but in order the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. He's saying, look, you can dress me up like the culture. You can give me a name that sounds like Baal knows all things. But I'm here to tell you, Baal is powerless. And I read the mythology of all your professors. And you trained me up in the best Babylonian college. And I got my degree in Babylonian humanities. And I listened to all your Babylonian songs. All your songs like, we've got the whole world in our hands. Go back and listen to last week. I've listened to all your secular humanism and I've listened to all your culture has to offer and I've listened to all the mythologies and I'm here to tell you. I stick to the ancient paths and I'm a child of the true and living God. And every one of your pagan philosophers all said the same thing. Nobody king can do this except the gods and the gods don't dwell among men and I'm here to tell you, bless God, we got one God who dwells among us. He's the true and living God. His name is Yahweh. I can tell you all about him. He's been faithful to me. He's been faithful to my daddy and my daddy's daddy and my daddy's daddy's daddy and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we can go on and on and sit down. It's called Genesis. And I'm here to tell you that faithful God has done this great act of mercy. So don't glorify me and don't glorify all your pagan astrologers. You give glory where it belongs. Glory to God. 